We're in a series right now today entitled Clear Truth for a Confused World. We're in week four of this series, and what we're doing in it is we're walking through God's order and plan right from the beginning. See, God had a plan for human uh, flourishing and human thriving, and he laid it out in Genesis 1 and then gave us some more details in Genesis 2. And we believe the Bible around here that it's as relevant today as the day that it was written. And so in order for humanity, in order for us to thrive, we want to understand God's plan. And so we started this off where God started it off, and that is in the beginning creating man. And so we talked about man, and and what is the godly man? Then we talked about the godly woman. Then we talked about the relationship, the partnership that God created in the covenant relationship of marriage, where he brings male and female together in a mutually sanctifying relationship, lays out kind of the guidelines uh, for how to function in the marriage in Ephesians chapter 6, and then says, you two, man and woman, partner together for the gospel. That's where we ended last week. Today, we're going to pick it up because we see God's next plan then for how everything is supposed to function, and that is through the family. Uh, Almost as if God had given Adam and Eve such a big objective, fill the earth and subdue it. Go take over. I'm going to talk about that next week, by the way, when we talk about society. Uh, the, 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 the dream for Adam, the work for Adam was so big, God was like, hey, you're probably going to want to have some helpers. And so the next thing God says is this, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And the family then becomes the unit to, to form society, to subdue the earth, to, to take over the Adamic uh, uh, mandate, but also then becomes the building block for all of society. Now, this morning, um, I have uh, the way I've been kind of walking through the series is laying out some very clear, clear, confused truths, right, or confused distortions, and then lay, laying out the clear truth. So let me give you one confused distortion that we see right now in our world. Here's a confused distortion. Family is an environment set for abuse and misery. There's one confused distortion in our world right now. I'll show you where we see that a little bit. Here's a clear truth. Family is God's plan for joy, child raising, and our sanctification. That was God's plan at the beginning. We see this right here at the beginning. Now, this morning as we do this, uh, I want to work through this sermon in in three perspectives, and here they are as they they relate to family. The first perspective is this, uh, as it relates to family, culture wants to destroy them. Culture wants to destroy families. Number two, the church must support families. And number three, Christ wants to win families. Christ wants to win families. And so I want to walk through this lens this morning. Uh, The first one being this, the culture wants to destroy families. We see the clear mandate for family in Genesis 128 when when God said, and God blessed them, Adam and Eve, male and female, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. I alluded to this earlier. I actually preached on this about a year ago, uh, and we have seen lots of babies uh, coming up in the last, you know, well, I guess last couple of months uh, since we preached on it a year ago, which is great because God told us, be fruitful and multiply. This is one of the two orders he gave, be fruitful and multiply, and then go fill the earth and subdue it, but they work together. And notice how the idea of being fruitful and multiplying is directly connected to the idea, right, of being blessed. Blessed means joy, a deep happiness. And these two things 
our time together. But culture wants to destroy the family. Why? Culture wants to destroy the family because culture knows that it was God's strategy. And the culture's aim at family is all over the place. <clears throat> Let me quote one, uh, one writer. Uh, this guy writes for The Atlantic, okay? Here's what he says. The nuclear family was a mistake. That's a direct attack at God. God created the nuclear family. By that, what they mean, you know, mom, dad, kids. He says, it was a mistake. The family structure we have held up as the cultural ideal. It is the cultural ideal, yes, but it's not us who held it up. It's God who created it that way. The family structure we've held up as the cultural ideal for the past half century, not the past half century, 8,000 years, okay, has been a catastrophe for many. Now, I will say this, because sin distorts and destroys, there are elements where, sure, the nuclear family uh, can be catastrophic for individuals who experience sin. But just because some people sin within a context of something doesn't mean that we throw that something out if it is ordained by God. Says it's been a catastrophe for many. Then he goes on to say this. It's time to figure out a better way to live together. Let's throw out this idea uh, that, the, that the Bible lays out of, uh, of covenant marriage and then within the context of covenant marriage, having children, raising up those children to follow Christ uh, and then filling the earth and subduing it. Let's throw that out and let's find a new way to do this. And so the world came up with a new way to do this, by the way. Uh, the, the, the term that was coined was, it takes a village. Let, let, let's, have, let, let's have the village do this. Now, uh, at, at first glance, it's not a bad phrase. Many of us know it does take a village to raise kids. At least it's a lot easier when you have a good village around you, right? When you have grandparents, when you have the beauty of the church, uh, when you have uh, a friends, good friends around you. But unfortunately, I believe what Mr. Brooks here is saying and what we have seen in culture is that village, the right village, uh, has been replaced by a new village that is wanting to, to, to supersede the right village, and this is the, the new way. Another place we have seen this in our culture recently, uh, a couple years ago, there was the, the rise of the um, Black Lives Matter movement, and before they wised up a little bit, uh, they uh, scrubbed their website after having placed on their website, we exist to upend and destroy the Western nuclear family. That's what it said. And by the way, some Christians got excited about the Black Lives Matter movement. Light and darkness don't coexist. And any organization that has as its stated purpose to upend the Western nuclear family, let me say it a different way, to upend God's plan, is not something any Christian has any right to associate with in any way. Okay? Now, this idea has settled in to culture. And, 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 and culture wants to destroy the family. And the first way culture wants to destroy the family is a direct assault on this instruction. God says, be fruitful and multiply. And so culture says, don't. The uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it's the most famous, uh, probably the most famous verse, we'll look at it in a second, on, um, on family in the scriptures. And it starts off with the word children. And so culture 
in the world right now, what it wants to do is not even allow that to take place. See, the fight against families now is actually starting with the idea of just don't make them. And we see this in three ways, by the way, in our current culture. And, and sometimes you just have to call things out as they are. The, the first is, the, the first attack uh, culture on the family is, well, don't have kids. Don't have kids. And there's all of this fear associated with it. And, and so uh, right now, that's one of the enemy's attack, the fear on, well, I won't make a good parent. Well, how could I bring a kid into the world right now? And by the way, on the first one, uh, well, actually, let me, let me keep walking down, then I'll hit it again. Um, I won't make a good parent. Uh, the, the world is too messed up right now. Um, uh, you know, what if they turn out a certain way? Uh, and so don't have kids. And this idea uh, has penetrated culture, okay? Uh, there's this lie being spread around that the world is overpopulated, okay? That is, could not be further from the truth, okay? These are all attempts and aims to do what? To stop a God-given mandate. Now, for followers of Christ, let me say two things, okay? Um, first, there are, of course, physical limitations to being able to have children, all of the grace in the world for that. And the story is uh, of scripture for, for that. It, there's stories all over the scriptures. And so where that uh, is true, okay, this morning or, or in your life, uh, God's grace is for you, okay? And, and our grace is to you and our love and our compassion, okay? Uh, for, for certain people, there's adoption as a great option uh, when, there, when there is that present and true, okay? But beyond that, for the Christian couple, that is in the time and in the season to be able to have children. And maybe the season has passed for you, and I just want you to know, like, the past is past. God's grace and forgiveness is there, okay? And so I'm not trying to pour guilt on anybody this morning. That's not my aim. I am trying to challenge those who are Christian couples that are in the age and season that have bought into the lie of the world not to have children, to not buy into the lie. Be fruitful and multiply. This is God's plan, and it is good for us. It is sanctifying for us. It is joy-producing for us to have children. And the enemy and the culture would want to tell families, don't, don't, don't. And whenever the world is saying not to do something, as Christians, we should be the first ones to sign up to do the opposite. You want know, you know, you to know why or how you know it's good for you to have children? Because the world is so intent on you not having them. That's how you know. Why? The thief, Satan, comes only what? To steal and kill and destroy. But he, Jesus, comes what? So that we might have life to the fullest. In other words, God's plan is better than the world's plan. That's the first attack. Just don't have kids. The second attack, um, I do talk about this often, uh, and, uh, and so I won't hit it a bunch this morning, but the second attack, of course, right now in our culture uh, against the family or against children is, well, if you do um, uh, get pregnant, well, you can always abort the child. And that's the second attack. And it is a direct attack, again, against God's plan. The, the, out of everything over the last week, the lowest moment for me in this last week was while I was watching election results on Tuesday to see uh, survey questions being asked of 100,000 people. 67% now said that abortion should be legal, safe, and easy in our country. 
67%. It was tragic to me that take results out that it seems what drove many people on Tuesday was the right to murder. That that's what drove people. We have to call evil what it is. It does not help us to not. And this is deep, deeper, I think, than we, or many of us, even thought. And as I say frequently when I bring this up, my grace is to anyone who has walked in that in their past. God's grace is for you. He loves you. There's forgiveness, all sorts of things. But um, offering grace and forgiveness for the past does not negate our need to call things out in the present. Church, we must never waver on this. We must never get soft. We must never grow silent. I don't care if it's 90%. Let's be the 10. This is wrong. It is evil. It is from the pit of hell. And it has to be stopped. And sadly, it is in deep, the highest levels of our culture. Celebrities, highly elected political officials, actually encouraging people, go out, go out. Why? You have to protect this right. I can tell you, anyone who advocates that, we are not on the same team. We are not. That's number two. Number three, number three, the third way now that uh, culture is attacking the family, particularly attacking children, is this, okay? So if you do have the child, then, uh, then we'll indoctrinate them. And that's attack number three. It's attack number three, indoctrination. By the way, let me just say this. I am 100% pro-indoctrination, 100%. Parents, you have an obligation to indoctrinate. Church, we have an obligation to instill doctrine into our children. I'm 100% pro-indoctrination, and I'm 100% against the current indoctrination methods of our world, and I'm sick and tired of the church being soft and weak on indoctrination and letting everybody else do it. It's like we've begun to say, oh, it, it, it's, it's, it's okay for everybody else to have a plan and to push people into it and to, uh, and to advocate that people learn and learn and learn, but not the church because we'll become legalistic or, uh, or, or cultish or anything like that. So instead of having our own plan, what we'll do is we'll let the world have its plan and be not mistaken, the world, the enemy has a plan. And whereas the village is supposed to be the parent first and then the church in conjunction together raising the child, the modern village, where it says children obey your parents, the modern village is children obey anyone but your parents or parents obey your children. In the modern village is not now children obey your parents. It's children obey your own feelings. Well before you have any sense of what is right or wrong or what is permanent. Children obey your woke teachers. Children obey daddy government. Children obey TikTok and YouTube and everything that is being thrown at you to destroy you. Children 
Obey woke healthcare professionals that are telling you to um, flow with gender affirmative care. This is the new village. It is from the pit of hell. It is disgusting and it must drive us to action. Confused distortion. The village has the power and the responsibility. Clear truth. Parents, you have the power and the responsibility. Do not abdicate it in any way. Not to a doctor, not to the state, not to a teacher. It's yours. You parent your child. To those who would continue to advocate for these types of things, I have a Bible verse for them. Matthew 18, 5 through 6. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Let's be clear. Politicians who are advocating for abortion, politicians who are advocating for gender affirmative care, if they want to know their future, read that verse. That is their only future apart from repentance. Anyone who would lead children into this type of sin consistently, diligently, and persistently is not someone we should support, not someone that we should give a pass to, but someone we should call out for their sin, for being used by the enemy to destroy. Why? God's first command, be fruitful and multiply. And the enemy's coming after it hard, friends. And culture wants to destroy the family. So what? Number two, the church must support the family. We are the better, the greater village. We are the counterculture. And perhaps more than anything, I know we say this a lot lately, but I'll just say it. Maybe more than ever, the rise of the counterculture must happen again. Church, if the world loves it, we should hate it. If the world does it, we shouldn't. And if the world thinks we're crazy for holding something up, let's hold it higher. The church must support families. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Number one, we have to teach sound biblical parenting. And here is a confused distortion. Confused distortion is that biblical parenting is outdated, irrelevant, or oppressive. It's all over. Here's a clear truth. By the way, that lie has snuck its way into the church too. Okay, so don't just think I'm talking the, 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 the church, not even necessarily the woke church, just the modern church. Clear truth, though. Biblical parenting is best for your children, and it is a God-given command. Ephesians chapter 6, that famous passage on family says this, and so let's teach some good doctrine around parenting. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents, we must teach our children the value of obedience. Obedience. There are many other traits I know we want to teach our children. There are many things we want to see for them in the future. But the instruction in the scriptures is to teach them 
obedience. Why? Because obedience now leads to protection later. That's the story, that's what we learned from the story of Noah. Obedience now leads to protection later. But also, because obedience now to parents sets up a life of obedience to God. And so we have to teach our children obedience. Secondly, we have to hold on to good doctrine and we have to encourage discipleship and discipleship where it is supposed to exist in the context first in the home. Deuteronomy chapter six. I often quote this um, in, uh, in our baby dedications, but I knew I was gonna be teaching on it. So parents, everyone, but especially those who just dedicated, this is a verse we should all get to know. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Amen. Let me provide some application to that. In verse 6, what is it saying? It's saying these words should be on your heart. The scriptural understanding of that phrase is that these words should break into your heart. These words are the law. The law for us is a picture of the gospel. Let me translate in 2022. Let the gospel break into your heart. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever it might be, the village of this church, if we want to see a generation of children raised up in the Lord, it starts with letting the gospel break into us. So dad, you think, why well, get them there? I pay the tuition. We're faithful attenders. That's a great start. I'm not negating it. I applaud it. But the first thing is let the gospel break into you. Let it break in. Mom, let the gospel break into you. And then when it does, you teach them of the gospel and you teach it in every part of life. You, you teach them how to apply the gospel, your belief and conviction about Christ and his word. You apply it to every part of life. And so on Tuesday, when Lindsay and I went to vote, we, I sat down with Reagan and I got right at her eyes and I said, we're going to go vote and here's why. And this is, this is why we vote. And I said, and here's how we're going to vote. And here's why. And it wasn't because of tax policy, right? It was because we love the Lord and we love people. And because we love the Lord and we love people and the gospel is broken into us like that, this is how we're going to go cast a vote. Because I'm not going to disconnect anything in my life from the gospel in me. And so, and then that carries on, right? Uh, this is how we're going to do that. This is how we, this is how we spend our money. This is uh, uh, how we interact with other people. This is how we interact with those who disagree with us, right? I mean, this is, and listen, if, you are, if you're a parent, you get opportunities all the time, right? All the time. Yesterday in the, in the kitchen, daddy, somebody was mean to me at school. Great. Let me tell you, we were mean to Christ and he loved us. And he won us. Reagan, you get to love that kid back, even when he's mean. Every moment, an opportunity to preach and teach the gospel to your children. The parents, take it on. Seize it. Become more aware of it. Practice it. And make it 
a part of your family life. Third thing we have to do, the church is going to support families, is we have to be a church that is good for families. We have to be a church that is good for families in our ministry. We have to be a church that is good for families in our relationships one to another. And we need each other. And we need each other across generations. That's why I'm so glad that God has created a multi-generational church here. Nothing fires me up more than when people go, oh, I bet your church is just a bunch of young people. No, it's not. No, it's not. I don't want that. God forbid that, please. We need the generations all across because we need help in this. That's part of being that church. We need great ministries for our kids. We need great ministries for our students. We need great ministry for when kids graduate um, high school and can still remain connected uh, to a good body of faith because we're tired of seeing them walk away after high school. We need to be that kind of church. And so, friends, that means we need to serve in kids' ministry. It means we need to serve in student ministry. It means we need to start life groups where we're parenting or, or, or mentoring each other and loving each other. And I know, and I'm, I'm grateful um, that this church has grown uh, like crazy in the last two years and in the last four weeks. And if we're going to maintain the health and the family that God has given us over these years, it will turn when organically we start to disciple and mentor and love each other. We can't facilitate it all through this and that and our systems. We'll try our best, but just love each other. Be hospitable. Invite each other in. Have good conversations about the scripture. Develop great friendships and point it all to Jesus. And then we help each other in this. If culture wants to destroy the family, the church has to support it. Support it strong and hold it up. Number three, Number three, I love this one. Christ wants to win families. Christ wants to win families. Acts 16, 31, I'll show you a couple of ways. When I say Christ wants to win families, a couple of things that I mean. Acts 16, 31 is the, the first one. It says this, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Uh, this is uh, typically referred to as the Philippian jailer being converted. And uh, some of the apostles find themselves in prison. And uh, there's an individual there, the jailer. They get into this conversation and he goes, I want what you guys have. And he goes on and tells them, he says, okay, then just believe in Christ. But then the very next story is the, the jailer, okay, the, the, the man, he takes the, the, the apostles to his house. He gets to his house and the whole family comes comes to salvation. Jesus wants to win families. And uh, this is kind of a, an indicator here that often the way Jesus wins families is through the Father. There are statistics about this, something crazy. That, like when the Father is active in faith, how that faith spreads down. That's why we've worked through this series the way that we have, talking about godly men first. Guys, it starts with us. Have faith. Let the gospel break into you. And so this, of course, means the gospel, uh, when I say Jesus wants to win families, it could just mean uh, winning the apathetic family right now, winning the family that's kind of half in culture, half in the world, uh, and the gospel breaks into you, dad or mom. The gospel breaks into you, and then the gospel spreads through the family in a new way. 
Could be um, families that aren't even in Christ yet, and, uh, and then conversion happens, and the family, uh, uh, the gospel spreads through. It, it, it seems to make sense that Jesus would want to win families when families was his idea in the first place. That, that there, there, there seems to be this thing about when the gospel breaks in to a family, how it begins to spread. So let it spread in you. Let it spread in you. Another way I believe that um, Jesus wants to win families is by uh, when we walk in the way that God has, has, played, uh, has laid out. It, it will, of course, have difficulty, but we have to remember the confused distortion is that family leads to misery, but God's clear truth is no family is a path to joy and sanctification. And so let's take back what the, what the world has tried to steal. Let's take back the seasons of family that uh, as Christians, we're so often just like the rest of the world to say, oh, well, I just can't wait to move past this season. Well, let's go get it back and be fruitful in every season and see what Jesus wants to do in you or in that child in that season. Let's capture or recapture the joy of uh, intentional family time. Recapture the joy of, of, no, this is what our family does. This is how we act, and this is how we operate. This takes me to the third way I think Jesus wants to win families. Jesus wants to win families through their action. Joshua chapter 24 is a great passage, and it comes at the end of the book. This is in the Old Testament. And in Joshua chapter 24, uh, Joshua is the leader of the Israelite people, and they've come in and they've taken over the promised land, and they're beginning to establish themselves. Uh, there still are some enemies in the land, but as they begin to establish themselves uh, in, in the land, Joshua says, well, I need to give you a warning, uh, and, and, I, and this is one of the last things Joshua is going to instruct, and here's what he says. This is Joshua 24, 14. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Families, moms, dads, grandparents, whatever it might be, serve the Lord in sincerity with no hypocrisy. Where it exists, repent and turn. Serve uh, the Lord in sincerity where the, where, where the love of Christ is genuine and real inside of you. Where your kids will grow up and say, yeah, maybe my mom did this wrong or maybe my dad did that wrong. But man, I had no doubt they love the Lord. Serve him in faithfulness. What does faithfulness mean in this context? It means be faithful to the gospel. Be faithful to God in every single season. Mom and dad, I am the um, proud recipient uh, uh, of watching a father, my father, of all the things he has taught me in life, none stands taller than no matter what he has walked through, what season he has faced, his faith has never once wavered. And so I've watched him face divorce. I've watched him face cancer. I've watched him face disappointing job uh, situations. And every single time his eyes are fixed on Christ. Mom and dad, every season, fix your eyes on Christ. What an opportunity to show your children, yes, life will not always go the way that you want it to. But when it does, fix your eyes on Christ. 
to serve the Lord in sincerity and in faithfulness. Then it says this, a warning to us all. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. It might be time to snap some generational thoughts in your family. Well, everyone in our family does this. Well, everyone in our family uh, is this passionate about the Lord. Well, everyone in our family gets caught up into this sin. You know, every single night I hold my boys and I pray over them. And Lord, may the sins of their father, me, not follow them. Just because I fell into it doesn't mean they have to by your grace, Lord. And I don't know what previous generations looked like, and I don't know what faith you might have inherited from somebody else, but your family can change today because you make a choice. Put them away. He goes on to say, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. The temptation will be to half serve the God of our culture and to half serve the true God. And friends, we have to decide that we cannot have one foot in both camps. Though there is not a middle ground that we get to walk, that for the sake of our children and next generations, that we put away that we do not serve, we do not bow to the culture and to the God of this day. And we know the God of this day. I have laid him out clearly for you over the last few weeks or even a little bit this morning. The God of this day stands in complete contrast to the truth of these scriptures. And we must not serve both. He goes on to end it with this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't you love that Joshua doesn't say, but as for me, I will serve the Lord and I will attempt my best to bring the kids along with me. He says, no, for me, me and my house, we are going to serve God. We are not serving culture. We are not buying into the lies. We are not uh, walking between the two, right, or trying to hold them on. No, we have one path. As a family, what will define us or what will distinguish us maybe from somewhere else is that in this house, we serve God. That's our aim. That's our purpose. Take it back to the beginning. Man, God creates him and says, uh, you have a, a mission. Go fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, exercise dominion. Go take over. I'll talk about it next week. Woman, partner now with man. Get into the covenant, the beauty of covenant relationship and marriage where you're both fully known uh, and fully loved, right? And then partner together for the gospel. Have kids along the way. And now the whole family gets to decide and choose to serve the Lord and to build his kingdom. What a plan that God had. And every step along the way, he will attempt to attack it. He will attempt to go after it. And every step along the way, we have to be reminded of God's truth. Amber, you can throw the picture up there. This is my favorite picture. It hangs in my office. Sometimes it makes me, like, tear up a little bit, huh? That's my daughter, okay? 
This was on this stage about two and a half years ago, right? Mom and Dad, come on, if that doesn't speak something to you. Grandma, Grandpa, and Uncle. They're watching. Choose this day whom you will serve. You can take it off. She's too cute. No one will be able to pay attention. What if today there's an opportunity, maybe unlike any time in our lives, for families to circle around together to reclaim or recapture some of what has been lost in the family and to look out over these next few weeks, months, and years and see an incredible opportunity. Because even when it seems like the world loves the darkness more than the light, it is in those moments where light shines brightest. And as I've been looking out over, even thinking about the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the events of the last week and thinking about what does the, the future look like, I uh, have been over and over. I mean, I woke up on Wednesday, and I kind of just sat in my prayer time a little bit. I was like, I don't know, even know what to think right now, God. And I kept praying. And, uh, and then at some point in time, God was like, dude, stand up, because there is opportunity right now to go present the clear truth and the hope that is greater than any earthly hope could ever be. I actually believe that we are entering into what could be the church's finest hour uh, in the last decades or centuries. Now, there is an opportunity, Christians, for us to do things differently. And it starts with you, and it starts in the house, and it starts with the family. And what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful counter picture to the world of being a church of families, of families, of parents disciplining and training and raising up. The contrast is so ironic, is it not? That we live in a a culture right now that is slowly trying to take over and, uh, and not having children, but slowly trying to take over by indoctrinating ours. The good news is this. Give us a couple generations, and we'll have this whole thing turned back around. So let's start with this one. Let's start now. Choose this day whom you will serve. You know why? I know this is possible, by the way. It's because family's always been God's plan. It was through a family. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through a family that turned into a nation. But through a family that God brought his son Christ into the world. In Christ, culture tried to destroy them and to destroy him. But he won. He won. He was victorious. And then he gave us his church. As what? Entering us and inviting us into another family. So even this morning, if your family's not perfect, 
If your family's had error, sin, mistake, tragedy, trial, whatever, you get to find joy, hope, peace, and comfort in the family of Christ right here. And then individual families and the church family gets to be God's source of hope and joy and the gospel in the world. Let's pray. I'm just going to pray in order here. Father, I pray right now for each single person with a desire to be married. At the right time, send the right person. Father, I pray for each young couple on the brink of children. May the gospel, not the lies of the world, break into their heart right now. I pray for each family, each family, and their current raising of their children, not to listen to the world, Instagram or TikTok, but your word above all else. I pray for every grandparent, aunt, uncle, friend, surrogate parent, that in unity we would join together to be the village that honors the parent's position, loves the child, and creates an environment where kids love Jesus their whole life. Bless the families of this church, Lord. May there be just a collective blessing that as we get together, joy hits, transformation happens, and we will give you all the credit and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.